Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. The hidden health perils of our current situation and exactly how to protect yourself. Today on Informed Dissent. Another week of unprecedented and frankly illegal health decisions made by states and the current federal government's administration. Be careful. Do not let the situation in Afghanistan, which is utterly tragic and obviously of high priority, distract you from what is happening to your rights, which affects your health right here in this country. Today, we'll give you the rundown on the latest and how to protect your future health. Mark, great to be with you again. There's so much to talk about in this crazy COVID world. Every day I have to choose what to read, what to talk about, what to listen to, because everything seems so important. Things are changing at such a rapid clip. It's so important that we get the most important information out to our listeners as soon as possible. Absolutely. Um, Let me tell you a quick epic vaccine failure story. Patient of mine, she's a nurse practitioner, double vaccinated. She got both Pfizer jabs, horrible case of COVID. Uh, I mean, she was really sick. All the usual medications, the repurposed stuff, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, et cetera. And finally, she's recovering. We kept her out of the hospital. And then she called and said, "Uh, Barky, is this normal? But I'm having difficulty feeling my legs. Uh, I'm struggling to walk up the stairs. That feeling when you sit too long and your feet go numb, it feels like that. And I'm worried that there's something wrong, even as she recovers from from her vaccine failure from COVID-19. More and more, we're seeing cases like that, but you'll never, ever hear that reported in the mainstream news, unfortunately. Jeff, I thought these vaccines were safe and effective. Yeah, well, that's that's what they say. You know, when they first came out, remember, uh, 95% effective. And then don't forget, we were told 100% effective in children of all things. And it's just nuts. And if they're so effective, by the way, then why are we now recommending boosters? And we're expecting soon that there'll be an approval and then mandating boosters for everybody that's received the vaccine. Well, that's what the Wall Street Journal just reported uh, yesterday. Uh, the Biden administration, as you know, has announced that vaccine booster shots are going to be not just offered, but required slash needed every eight months. And that's going to start in September. I mean, that's worse than a flu shot that you need only once a year. But now we're going to need COVID shots every eight months. What happened to this wonderful, effective and safe vaccination? I just don't see it. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, what I tell people is obviously the third time's the charm, but it may be the <laughs> sixth or the eighth if, if we live to, to see that day. What, what happened to your patient? Did she develop Guillain-Barre syndrome? Great question. So I, I don't know specifically that it was Guillain-Barre and what, what I did uh, actually today. Uh, I treated her and we put her on a Medrol dose pack. I put her back on ivermectin. Uh, I put her back on a, an aspirin a day and uh, I called her uh, a little bit earlier 
And sure enough, she's starting to feel better, but we were getting really nervous because this sounded like a Guillain-Barre. We know that's a side effect of the vaccine, Guillain-Barre. Guillain-Barre, for those that don't know, is a uh, rare, but apparently not so rare, side effect of viral infections and sometimes even immunizations where you have a uh, temporary paralyzation um, that can affect people. And you, you may remember back in the swine flu days uh, when that vaccine was an epic government failure again, um, they pulled it after only a handful of people were coming down with Guillain-Barre, some of whom were permanently paralyzed and some of whom died. And I hope this doesn't happen, but if you look at the VAERS report, they're reporting an awful lot of Guillain-Barre syndromes from the um, from the COVID and from the COVID disease, and now we're seeing it indeed from the COVID vaccine as well. And this this risk of Guillain-Barre, I, I understand that it is very low, but you you achieve that risk and increase it with every single vaccination. That's right. So, it's not as if everybody got uh, sort of one pull on the rifle or the pistol, uh, taking one round out of the chamber. Uh, you're going to have to pull that trigger every single time you get this shot, which means every single season, every single eight month with this experimental vaccine, you are going to encounter the same risk, if not more, if it's cumulative, of developing side effects, including Guillain-Barre, which, you know, as you pointed out, can be fatal uh, and it can also cause paralysis. This is a serious problem. Yeah, it's like it's like a recurrent game of Russian roulette. Exactly. And every eight months. And every eight months now you're being subjected to the potential side effects and risks of this vaccine. It's it's unbelievable. And it seems like the younger you are, the greater the risks versus benefit profile is, meaning the younger you are. Um, there are more risks than benefits uh, from this vaccine. You know, Mark, I remember when we first started speaking together, I used to, I used to tell people I'm not anti-vax, and I think if you're in a really high-risk group, I would lean in the direction of serious consideration of getting this vaccine, specifically the COVID-19 vaccine. I, I really have difficulty doing that now with what I've seen personally in patients, um, what I've read in looking at the VAERS uh, uh, system, the VAERS system, as a reminder uh, to those listening, is the website that's run by the FDA and the CDC together. This is a government website, not a conspiracy website. And VAERS, V-A-E-R-S, stands for Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. And you look at that thing, and if you can decipher it, and there are some that will curate the data, the number of injuries reported is staggering but never reported in the mainstream news, unfortunately. I remember when you uh, were you know, quite supportive of particularly older patients, patients who were uh, carrying comorbidities, which increased their risk of death uh, from this original Wuhan strain that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, I was always a little bit more wary, probably because my patient population is uh, almost entirely very young. And I never really saw much benefit in giving a vaccine to, to kids for a disease that essentially does not affect children in any significant way. So uh, my position was, was much more suspect than yours from the very beginning. But I, over the last, let's say, six months, has, I, I've moved completely to the side of uh, not recommending the vaccine really to any patients. 
uh, partly because of the risk benefit profile. And more recently, I've changed my opinion uh, after having read numerous reports domestically and also from other countries around the world, most recently in Israel, where the infection rates among people who have been vaccinated are essentially identical to those who haven't. Uh, I know that the vaccination rate for Palestinians, for example, is quite low. It's in the teens or low 20 percentile, whereas for Israelis, it's pushing 80 percent. And yet, if you look at the data coming out from Israel and Palestine about uh, infections, they are within one percentage point of one another. That says to me that these vaccines, at least right now, are really not uh, offering much, if any, protection against infection. And if you're not offering any protection, meaning the benefit side, then all you're taking and all you're assuming is a risk. And, and that's just not a winning proposal for me. No, you're right. And if you look at uh, the Israeli data on hospitalizations, um, it's skewed even further toward vac vaccinated people, meaning it's something like 75-80% of all hospitalizations for COVID-19 are in formally vaccinated people. So if vaccinated people, in Israel at least, are making up the majority of hospital cases, what advantage is there to get a vaccination? Oh, I, the, the advantage actually is if you live in L.A., you can go into restaurants, you can go shopping, you have all kinds of privileges given to you if you're vaccinated. So that's, that's one benefit. Well, I didn't know that it was a privilege to actually go visit a dying relative in a hospital, but I guess it is now. Yeah, apparently so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I didn't know buying milk and eggs was a privilege either, but it, it will be if the uh, Los Angeles City Council and Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors gets its way. And this is just uh, local where we live. This is happening in other parts of the country as well and, and uh, up north in Canada. Uh, I read that uh, just uh, three or four days ago in the Canadian country, uh, all the provinces uh, are now um, banning uh, cross-provincial travel on domestic airlines, trains, and also on cruises around the periphery of the country for those who do not have vaccines. Uh, this was reported in AP on the 13th of August. So apparently now uh, just leaving your, your province or your state in Canada is now considered to be a privilege accorded only to those who agree to get a vaccine, uh, which uh, apparently is not offering any health benefits. No, uh, and unfortunately, I think what they're doing in Canada is coming to the United States soon. I know there's a bill being considered in Congress um, that will ban interstate travel unless you're vaccinated. Now, I don't know exactly how you enforce that other than air travel. I don't know if they'll be, you know, like... In California, <clears throat> when you drive from San Diego, which is close to the Mexican border, uh, further north up into Orange County or L.A. County, you pass a, a border patrol checkpoint um, where they will periodically stop cars and look for illegal immigrants and bringing across contraband and so forth, although I'm not sure they're doing that even anymore. So maybe as you cross from you know, California into Arizona, There'll be border patrol right there to checking your checking your passport to see if you're you've been vaccinated, like we've seen them in France when they walk around with their scanners on and so forth. And uh, the, you know, listen, it's going to be great for the Winnebago industry, I guess, for people that can no longer fly. Uh, but w what are we? W what's going on here? The heck is going on in this country? I've never seen anything like it. It's completely insane. Uh, I know in Israel, uh, there are police checkpoints now at the entrances to villages, and they will not allow people in or out who don't have vaccine passports. I could see that happening on the road to, uh, to Vegas, 
you know, it's a two-lane highway in or out unless you've got a an off-road vehicle and can go around the, the highway <laughs> checkpoint. Uh, they could easily just set up uh, a state checkpoint on the road between California and Nevada and say, you don't have a vaccine passport, you're not welcome to come into uh, Nevada and gamble. Yeah, I can't imagine Nevada will allow that to happen. It just cut down on their tourist revenue, et cetera. And I think there's a, isn't there a large prostitute lobby too in Nevada? I don't think they would stand for that. All those Californians coming across the border. That's a good point. (laughs) So I I don't know, you know, this country is really turning tyrannical in so many ways. And um, especially in California, we see that coming down. Uh, With a little luck, we'll get the recall passed. And I heard Larry Elder speak just the other day, and he made a point of saying, when he gets elected governor, um, he will revoke any uh, mandated vaccines or masks before his first cup of coffee. So if we're so lucky in California for that to happen. But this has happened all, all over the country as well, not just California. Um, there's a you know red state in Florida that certainly Ron DeSantis is pushing back against and, and good for him. And in Texas, uh, Governor Abbott has passed legislation uh, or mandating uh, by executive order that mask mandates are illegal. And I think the state Supreme Court uh, held up that rule. So we'll see what happens there. And with a little luck, some of that will spread to other states as well. We're talking about uh, the imposition of uh, anti-medical, anti-science uh, interventions, such as these experimental vaccines and the attack on our civil liberties. Uh, that seems to be marching forward at a uh, a quite terrifying pace, uh, particularly in states uh, such as California and uh, New York, where I believe you can no longer go into a restaurant uh, without a, a vaccine passport. There's some uh, other areas that are, are equally concerning to me. Uh, for example, uh, here locally, uh, the fake Dr. Barbara Ferreira, who's the uh, supposed public health department director, just announced that if you want to attend an event where there's more than 10,000 people present outdoors, such as a baseball game, you will have to wear a mask regardless of your vaccine status. Uh, I've become quite concerned about the effect that this is having, the mask mandates, uh, the lockdowns, and obviously the vaccines on children because that is uh, the population that I uh, treat. And something that came across my desk recently was was quite alarming, uh, which was a publication of a Uh, a research uh, report. Uh, This came out of uh, Brown University Department of Pediatrics, published in The Guardian uh, on August 12th, where they studied uh, the IQs of babies that were born post-pandemic, meaning January 2020 or later, and they compared them with the IQs of babies that were born before January 2020. And you would think there might be a bit of a difference uh, up or down a few points uh, because things change. And obviously there was a stressful time in that early part of 2020, 2021. Well, what they found was that there was an average drop in IQ points, 20 points, 20 IQ points in babies. Now, I don't know how they measured it. I don't know what the IQ testing standards are for babies, but that is a big, big drop. And I have to say that uh, I would attribute that uh, primarily especially with infants, uh, to not being able to see faces Mm. with masks, to not being able to participate in uh, complex environmental stimuli, such as playing with other babies, seeing other babies, uh, having toys, being carried around outdoors, 
and being stuck in a, essentially a monotone, monochrome environment where all they see are pieces of cloth on people's faces and are stuck in front of electronic screens for the first 18 months of their lives. Many times uh, grandma and grandpa aren't allowed to see the babies as well. Parents that's are, a parents, really good point. Parents isolate them. The parents that are masking themselves and their children are probably banning other family members from coming in uh, where they get that additional enrichment of being able to associate and interact on a sensory level with others that are not their parents. Hearing voices, uh, you need to hear a different quality of voice in order to develop your auditory processing. I mean, there's a whole host of um, enrichment activities that we just took for granted that have been completely stripped away from infants in the last year and a half. And, and now it's actually showing up in objective measurements of loss of brain function. In other words, this pandemic, and the, or I should say the government's response to it and the family's response to it, has actually made babies stupid. <laughs> you know, and it's unfortunate because these babies um, only have one opportunity to be a baby. And a lot of those lost IQ points aren't necessarily going to come back uh, as a result of the pandemic, if it's ever over and we get rid of some of these mandates, um, kids don't, you know, kids are only kids once and you can't, you can't do a do over with some of these kids. And when this happens, withdrawal of relationships from, uh, grandma and grandpa, uh, inability to, uh, socialize with other kids, um, inability to see faces and hear voices. I mean, you know what it's like. You go into a restaurant and somebody's got a mask on. It's, it's hard to hear. You're, you're kind of, you can't look at their lips and read lips like you normally would if it was quiet and you can't hear. You're turning your head to try to hear better. And it's just, it's an odd way to communicate. And imagine as an adult doing that, but what if you're an infant and you don't know any better? and you can't hear a voice very well, you can't see facial expressions very well, it's no wonder your intellectual development is blunted as a result. This is not surprising. At least it shouldn't be surprising. I mean, I've been saying this now for you know a year and a half, and you would, I mean, well, you would because it's happened to you too, but you, would, you our, our listeners, would not believe how nasty and attacking and vicious uh, the reaction has been from certain sectors of the American population, simply from my pointing out that, as you said, putting masks on children is actually harming them. Uh, it's not helping children, it's harming them. Uh, the, the kindest remarks have been, uh, well, you're putting our children at risk. Uh, you don't care about children. Uh, you need to uh, go back to medical school. And they just go down from there to uh, people attacking me for actually uh, wanting to murder people. Uh, this, is, this is quite dis disturbing to me because it shows that uh, there are a lot of Americans who are uh, legitimately uh, terrified and also completely unable to process basic information. These are people who, if you had said three years ago that you need to put a mask on your child eight hours a day, five days a week, um, they would have looked at me like I was crazy, grab their kid and run away and probably call the police. And here they are wanting to call the police on me. Something has really shifted in the mindset of Americans. And uh, it, as a psychiatrist, I, I find it very, very, not just challenging, but actually very disturbing uh, because we need uh, that contingent of Americans in the middle who are not perhaps um, scientifically minded or politically divided 
the people that are in the middle to actually start to think uh, rationally and to support uh, basic common sense. Uh, if not, uh, you know, we're lost. So people have been taught to be, be fearful of this virus more so than they're fearful of the effects of a mask and all the consequences that are occurring. I mean, they, they must be making that equation in their mind. They must understand the effects of what the masks do, and they have to do that math. They have to say, despite the fact that masks cause, in many cases, irreparable harm, I am more afraid of the effects, the potential effects of COVID than I am of harming my child. So I'm going to send my child to school with a mask on, even though it causes anxiety, learning disorders, depression, in many suicidal ideation, not to mention the health effects with blocking oxygen, increase in carbon dioxide, the growth of God only knows what inside those masks. They have to do that. They have to pencil that out, don't they? I mean, I just don't I, get it. It's what you're describing is almost like a, a kind of a syndrome. It's a a hyper focus on one thing to the exclusion of all others. It's it's a sort of um, obsessive compulsive disorder on steroids, with the one and only obsession being a virus. And whatever that is, whatever your source of obsession is, it doesn't have to be a virus. It, it could be uh, cleaning your oven. Uh, it could be um, interplanetary warfare, it doesn't really matter. But if all you do, if all you think about and every decision you make is based on that one wow. thing, then you are essentially rendering your your thought process um, completely impervious to a relationship with reality and, uh, and common sense. Could, and, could it be and, and a... You just can't make good decisions. Media-induced phobia. How about that? Oh, I like that media-induced yeah. phobia. Well, I mean, when, when people when people are fearful when they when they're when they have a phobia of something, they don't think rationally. Somebody's scared of a bee or snake or whatever it is. They don't think rationally of whether that thing can actually hurt them, and they're so focused on it to the exclusion of rational, intellectual reasoning, and that that's kind of what this is. They're so obsessed with the fear of COVID and how it may harm them because they're taught that every single night about how horrible it is that they don't think rationally about what are the risks and benefits of the decisions they're making. Nobody ever asks the question, at what cost are these mandates and these government edicts having on the population? Well, you're making a really good point. I've said before that if every single day the first thing on your phone, on the radio, on the news, and in the paper was the four or five people in your local city, uh, your local county, your local state who died in a traffic accident, and you heard that all day long, every day, day after day, week after week, month after month for a year and a half, you might actually start to think that it's not safe to drive anymore. Mm. And you would stop getting in a car. And you would tell your children they can't get in cars with other people. And you would ban your parents from getting in a car. And you would insist that everywhere you go, it has to be uh, non-car-based transportation. You have to walk. You have to ride a bicycle. Uh, you have to swim. And you might even start using methods of transportation that are more dangerous than cars. You, you might actually start to... Uh, fly a helicopter or get Motorcycle. into a, a 
A motorcycle, yeah, which, as, as every <laughs> sane person knows, is far more dangerous in terms of fatalities than cars. But if all you hear about are deaths in cars, why That's wouldn't right. you ride a motorcycle? That's it. Why That's exactly you? right. So even though we know the science is clear, it's, it's not close. Kids are at very low risk. The data shows it. Kids are at very high risk when they put a mask on for four, five, six hours a day at school. Yet here we are. We're, we're making the choice to choose the more risky activity because we are taught by the media to be fearful and phobic of a risk that doesn't actually exist. Wow, it's amazing. It's amazing. That's we should, exactly right. We should do an experiment. We could you know, do an experiment to see if we can scare the crap out of people about some, some other non-existent risk to see if we can cause some behavioral change. This would be great for like some... I don't know, some psych, I used to read psychology today and they used to have these fun experiments. And one experiment when I was at college, uh, I took a psychology course and we went into one of the science buildings that had a big elevator, two elevators right next to each other. And we decided to turn off the elevator and we were going to do an experiment to see how long a man versus a woman would stand waiting for an elevator that wasn't working before they'd finally take the stairs. It was really fascinating. It was kind of like that, so we could do that for an experiment. If I had control of all of the uh, systemic, endemic, uh, completely pervasive media corporations, uh, I would like to just uh, switch the topic out every day from a virus uh, to something completely unrelated and see if everybody's uh, head started turning and focusing on uh, the other little pretty coin that I'm dangling. And I, I bet it would start to happen. Could uh, be a great Netflix series. Start ooh. writing the script, we'll sell it. Oh, now I think I found my fortune. So Mark, tell me this, You know, we've talked about the, some of these draconian measures that uh, healthcare bureaucrats and government agencies are imposing on people, some of which are actually more dangerous than the virus itself, like mask mandates on children, like booster shots that have no proven record, uh, et cetera. What's a person to do? How do you fight back? And how do you, how do you navigate through uh, this fear-based society that we live in right now? Well, I'll give you a practical example of something that you can do, and actually that, that others have done, uh, which is organize and refuse to go along with what is uh, clearly harmful and anti-American. Um, on the, uh, the 14th of, of August, the uh, Washington Post uh, wrote an article about a group of nurses in Winchester, Virginia, who had been mandated by their employer to all get vaccinated or risk being fired. Uh, well, uh, they could have went and got their shots and hung their heads in shame and just said, what can you do? You know, I can't lose my job. Uh, they could have all just, you know, I guess, decided they're going to work for someone else. Uh, what they decided to do instead is they organized a protest. And they said, okay, we, the 25%, because they're 75% vaccinated, the 25% that don't want to get this vaccine, for whatever reason, are all going to stand out on the street and we're going to protest. We're going to hold signs and we're going to try to get uh, local community support to say, look, we are nurses. We know what we're doing. We're medical professionals. And we have decided it's not in our best interest to get this shot. Do you support us? Uh, and they did. Uh, and they attracted uh, quite a crowd. People would drive by and honk their horns. Uh, and it got media attention. And that's the most important thing. It draws attention. 
And when you get media attention, it puts pressure on the employer because it shows that the employer is using a heavy-handed technique and tactic against people that we all like. We all like nurses. We all like police. We all like firemen. These are people that risk their lives to, to save us from harm and, and death. And they have a choice that they're making. They can't do it on their own. They need the support of the community. And that's how we use the media to get attention to those sort of, of causes. So I think if, there, if there's enough, 25%, maybe only 15%, they basically are exercising a filibuster. Because the reality is, is if those 15 or 20 or 25% of nurses don't show up for work because they're banned from work because they're not vaccinated, that hospital system will shut down. And so I think it's a, it's a good lesson to learn that there's safety in numbers, there's camaraderie in numbers, realizing you're not alone in your convictions, and you're not. There's a lot of us out there, millions of us out there, but they try to separate us, they try to pick us off, they try to pretend that we're alone in our perspective, and we're not. Whether it's nurses or doctors or firefighters or police officers, there's a lot of people out there that have a different opinion than what the mainstream media is selling. They're selling fear and they're selling phobia and they're selling lies. And I think it's important that like-minded people stick together. All we're asking for is freedom of choice. Uh, we're not asking for anything else. And I think if enough, enough of us stick together, we can make a difference. We can push back and we can prevent some of these mandates. There is absolutely strength in numbers. And the strength comes from the support you get from the group. It comes from acting on your convictions. And perhaps most importantly, from a practical level, it comes from the attention that you gather. And as you said, it's like a filibuster. When you get attention and you get the same media that's telling you, be scared, be scared, be scared, they want a story, any story, and the story is, wow, these people don't want to get an injection. They don't want their children to have masks on in school. They want to be able to fly a plane or drive a car across the border, and they're going to stay put until they get their choice and their freedom back. Absolutely. That raises attention, and that gets people starting to think, and it gets the, the ball moving in a different direction. And if you'd like to join us, join us on our Facebook site. Join us on informeddissentmedia.com. And uh, tell us about what your journey has been like. And uh, don't live your life in fear. Live your life in truth and stand up boldly. That's right. Freedom, not fear. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.